Hi friends, welcome to the Psyche Mental Wellbeing Podcast with me, your host, Hannah. On the show, I'm joined each episode by an amazing guest to have an honest conversation, share our real life experiences and tackle stigma and misconceptions around mental health along the way. We believe that everyone would benefit from focusing a little more on their mental well-being, and we're here to support you to do just that. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi, friends, and happy Monday. Welcome back to the show. How are you doing today? I am I'm pretty good. We've had some nice weather. Still in the weird sun's out, but it's a bit cold kind of sense but I think it makes such a big difference psychologically as soon as the the sun's out and it's a bit brighter I think people feel a lift and also the fact that we are now in that next stage in the UK of coming out of lockdown where there is a little bit more uh, flexibility shops cafes and pubs like outside are open and I think that also has a big big impact on people I noticed the massive difference of of people around and personally I've not really been to any cafes or anything yet but I have been back in the gym which psychologically I feel great about uh physically my muscles are a bit this week (laughs) had a bit a bit of a shock to the system of, of getting back into it um but it's good so wherever you are in the world however things are there I hope you are doing okay uh, so st- to start with, I want to say a massive thank you to Joey and Alana, who were our guests last week on the show, um, and really excited to introduce today's guest and this week's uh, topics to you. And today we are joined by Keith, and we are getting into all the great stuff about <laughs> relationships and communication, which can be really difficult to manage. And I say that as someone who is a people pleaser who doesn't like conflict, who really worries about the impact I have on other people and will often kind of squash down any upset rather than cause a scene or kind of communicate my own needs. And so that is something I personally am working on. But I think this is um, a really important conversation to have at any point. But also for anyone who has been in lockdown with a significant other or wider family, I feel like it has possibly been tense at some points and actually we're starting to to possibly come out of that a little bit but like I said I think it's uh, such an important conversation to be having um, and really thinking about how we show up in those relationships. So let's dive into this conversation with Keith and hear his fab perspective and advice. Hi, everyone, and I'm really happy to welcome today's guest, Keith, to the podcast. So, Keith, welcome, and if you could tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, thank you. I'm very happy to be here. Uh, I'm Keith Wilson. I'm a a psychotherapist from Rochester, New York, and I also write uh, books. I've written a number of books, um, three of which you may be interested in here, um, having to do with getting along with your loved ones, um, constructive conflict, the road to reconciliation and then how to make an apology uh, that you'll never have to make again. Yeah, Awesome. Well, I'm super happy to have you on the podcast. And uh, I guess relationships are a big thing at the moment, particularly, uh, I don't know how things are there, but in the UK, we're in lockdown again at the moment. Mm -hmm. So we are spending a lot of time with our loved ones. 
And uh, the thing that you mentioned from your books that I would just love to spend a moment on is constructive conflict. What is that? <laughs> it okay. sounds, yeah. I, I think it, we should recognize that conflict is inevitable. If you take any two people and put them together, one person is going to uh, spend money more freely than the other. One is going to be more flirty than the other. One is going to be closer to their parents than the other. One is going to be more um, avidly sexual than the other. Uh, one is going to be more permissive with their children than the other. Uh, you really can't avoid any of that. Um, and it's probably a good thing because uh, there's really no sense in um, getting together with somebody who is exactly like yourself. Uh, you want to be able to reap the benefits of uh, diversity of uh, point of view. Uh, and so we tend to get together with people who are different with ourselves. And it's really, it's, it's inevitable. But this leads to problems because in order for um, these different perspectives to work, uh, there needs to be some respect for one another. Uh, and uh, I, I would even say there, there need to be some regulations around the conflict so that the conflict does not um, spin out of control uh, and the two parties become polarized. Um, I, I, we see this in our societies here in the United States, we're definitely a polarized society. And uh, my understanding that's the same, the same thing with UK around Brexit. Um, and what happens when people get polarized is well, let's just take uh, the, the issue of permissiveness with the children, for instance. One parent might start to get more and more permissive with the children because the other one is too strict, and the other one will start to get too strict because the other one is, is in their view, too permissive. And so they grow further and further apart than they would naturally be. And... Um, they lose the ability to um, uh, gain the other person's insights. Yeah. So um, the book, uh, Constructive Conflict, um, attempts to lay out some principles uh, that can help uh, people um, have their conflict in a constructive manner. So it's, it's a very uh, hands-on, uh, practical kind of book, and it's very short. Mm. Uh, it, it sounds great because as you say that that conflict that difference of opinion is is inevitable I mean I think if my partner and I agreed on everything that would be very boring um mm -hmm. but I also am not a massive fan of conflict that idea of having um, no. <laughs> almost like a roadmap to have constructive as you say uh, conflict and mm -hmm. I think it's really interesting to consider different perspectives on things but I think sometimes we can get into that polarized view of oh it's my way your way's wrong and mm -hmm. not being open to that to that conversation mm -hmm. and then the one of the other things uh, that you talk about that I'd, I'd love to focus on is reconciliation mm -hmm. so um I guess a great starting point is to just to explore the term reconciliation when you talk about it what you mean by by that term well I mean reconciliation to be um when there's been harm in a relationship when um, 
one or both parties have been hurt by the other. Uh, reconciliation would be a recognition of that and uh, working through it and uh, arriving at a relationship that is better than it was before. So that's, that's the ultimate goal. In many cases, this is just not possible. Um, and, and certainly what you always find is that one person is ready for reconciliation before the other one is. Uh, and so what happens then is um, a, a lot of problems. Uh, I mean, first of all, if you have been victimized in some kind of way, this could be a major victimization or, or even a, a minor one, uh, this puts you in a very hazardous position. Not only do you suffer the direct injury of that victimization, but it also changes your point of view and it, it changes your attitude towards things. And this will, as I put it, um, uh, get you off the road to reconciliation. It'll cause you to crack up. And uh, there's two ways, basically, uh, well, there's a thousand ways of, of spinning off the road, but they all boil down to two directions. You can go towards the side of the road where you perhaps forgive too quickly and pretend that you have a reconciliation when in fact nothing has ever been addressed. Uh, or you can uh, go off the other side of the road and uh, remain vindictive and bitter uh, and even sometimes uh, in injure yourself in the process. Um, so, um, there's lots of problems when, when people um, become injured by, by, by the folks they, that they love. Now, the other side of this is um, if you are the person who did the injury, uh, there are many problems with being that person as well. Uh, generally, the means by which you uh, justified uh, performing the injury then become the vehicle for some denial and some uh, rationalization and justification that pre prevents you from seeing the reality of the injury that you inflicted on your loved one. Uh, and so uh, this, this then causes even more problems. Plus if there's um, you know, the, the old saying that uh, often the cover-up is worse than the crime, okay? So, you know, quite often a person injures their loved one and then they attempt to cover it up or deny it. Well, then that itself becomes an additional injury. So it, it's really hard to, to, to come back from, from that kind of thing. Both parties, um, both the injured party and the, the one who's doing the injury, usually have to start at the same place. Um, and it, it, it's hard for a lot of people to, to, to acknowledge that even the person who did the injury himself or herself feels like an injured party. This is usually the thing that they use to justify the, the, the injury that they made, whether it be cheating on their partner or spending money they weren't authorized to spend or domestic violence or what have you. 
in their mind, have a reason for doing this. And, and typically, they started off feeling like the, the victim, and that justified making the injury. And then the other person gets to be a victim. And then they sometimes make an offense, and the whole thing goes round and round uh, in, in a terrible sort of way. So if I'm working with people who have done the injuries, I, I usually start where they're at. If they feel like they're a victim, but we start there. And then we start off by assessing the damages and, and seeing just what happened to them and how it has hurt them. And so the offender then kind of works through that. They start off by assessing the damages and then they move towards seeing the context of all that. And then hopefully we get them to have more empathy for the person that, that they harmed. Mm. Yeah. I guess if you, um, as a couple, uh, starting from that point, if you are the person that's been injured, mm. then being able to appreciate that there may have been something that um, the other person might have been injured in a way, it's it can be a difficult thing, can't it, to kind of to get your head around I guess if you're in that you're feeling that pain and that and that hurt and it's yeah I guess a difficult um thing mm -hmm. to to be able to acknowledge too yeah B because we are social creatures we are very tuned into what the other person is doing to us okay and not so tuned into what we are doing to the other person we have to reverse that tendency here yeah, yeah. and I yeah. I, I, am, I imagine that when we've been hurt that maybe one of our natural impulses is to put the blame on someone else mm -hmm. because the idea that we in some way may have been involved is painful for us mm -hmm. to consider and actually yeah. if I can just blame you that is is way easier than than seeing how it may not have been completely mm -hmm. your fault that's right but we got to be careful with that because uh, if we do too much of that, if if we ask victims to take a look at their parts in their own victimization, then we run the risk of, you know, running off the other side of the road and engaging in victim blaming. I mean, I mean, the point is that everything's complicated, okay, <laughs> and we yeah. want to try to stay in, in, in the middle of the road here and appreciate uh, both points of view. Mm. Yeah, I guess it says there's a balance, isn't there, of, of trying to appreciate and understand where someone's coming from, even if you don't agree with it, even if it's, it's completely at odds with your own perspective, if that's mm -hmm. kind of where they're at, you're not saying, oh, well, that's completely fine. It's, mm -hmm. it's being open to considering their perspective and and where they were at when the thing happened mm -hmm. yeah mm. so in this very, very complex meeting of two people with, with mm -hmm. all of their injuries how can we make it a more successful process of, of reconciliation mm -hmm. well the first part of this journey towards reconciliation is really done uh, alone uh, not with a person that uh, has injured you uh, it's really necessary for the individual, whether he identifies himself as a victim or a perpetrator, to do their own work and take a look, uh, take stock of, first of all, the injury that was occurred and be honest about that. And then to take a look at the broader context of that. It is necessary for everyone first to 
come to a place of personal peace before reconciliation can ever be uh, achieved with, with the other person. And by personal peace, I mean, we have this more complete understanding and are able to forgive yourself for your part in it. And if you played a part to seek to make amends to, to the other person. Uh, so really for both parties, whether they identify as victim or as perpetrator, when they first approach the other person, it sh they should be approaching um, with an attitude of contrition, um, feeling sorry for their part in it, even if <laughs> um, the, uh, you know, even if maybe the other party was, was far worse. This kind of opens up both parties to, to being able to work together. And I guess there, there's a difficulty if one person has, has done that piece and they're kind of at peace in themselves, but the other person hasn't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Then, then you're waiting, waiting at that intersection here, waiting for the other person, uh, perhaps forever. Uh, and, and, yeah, and, you know, sometimes it's not possible to be reconciled, but it is possible to achieve some personal peace. Now, I mean, there's two things that are necessary to have personal peace. One is to do your own interior work. The other is obviously, if you are still at risk for further injury from that person, okay, then you're never going to be at peace, right? So, so then you need to take a look and see, uh, you need to create a, an escape plan. You got to you know, get some distance and, and erect some boundaries between you and that other person so that you are not continuously victimized. And I think that in itself can be a difficult thing, can't it, um, yeah. to remove yourself. And I was going to ask, actually, if there are some situations where reconciliation actually, as much as we may want it, isn't, isn't possible to achieve. All of them, at least for a while. I mean, if I have a fight with my wife... We probably have to at least go to separate rooms, okay? We, we, we have to, you know, I have to go for a walk or, you know, get my head right. Uh, so at that moment, you know, reconciliation is impossible. So, so I think, yeah, I, I think that, that goes with every, <laughs> every case to, to some degree. Mm. Yeah, and then I'd just love, like to spend a moment on, you said with finding that, that personal piece, that, that part of it is doing that inner work yourself. So mm -hmm. do you have any uh, advice for us on what, what that looks like, what that, that inner work process can look like? Well, as I said, I, I start off with, with assessing the damages. And some of the times when we feel victimized and we assess the damages, we come to the conclusion that there have been none. You know, I, I mean, in some cases there's physical or financial damages that are incurred. Most of the time it's, it's emotional harm. And here's the thing with emotional harm. Um, somebody calls me by a bad name, you know, and hurts my feelings. I, I, I'm participating somewhat in that. So, so I'm really as, as much to blame for my feelings being hurt as the person who's told me a bad name. So 
when we take a look at that, we uh, often find that some of the damage, many of the damages are, are pretty minimal. And so <laughs> at that point, it, it's a relatively easy matter to achieve some personal peace and then reconciliation. Now, in the cases when you know, the damages have not been minimal, uh, then that's a different story. In that case, then uh, the person who feels like a victim should take a look at the bigger picture, um, see what kinds of factors led to this event where they were victimized, not with the idea of justifying the offender's behavior, but with the idea of looking at the context, okay? Uh, it, it's, it's a good idea to suspend judgment for a little while here as to right and wrong, just so that you can clearly see all the, the parts that various things played in this, okay? And, and next, it's important that the victim take a look at their own response to the injury. Did they become an offender then, right? Did they prematurely excuse uh, the offense, offer cheap pardon, which, which then puts themselves at, at, at greater exposure to more injury, okay? So, you know, in, in both cases, whether you're looking at the, the context before the injury or, or after, you're looking at a bigger picture and you're seeing that there's a lot of things that, that go into this. And then the culpability of the person who harmed you is now diminished to the point where you may not need to be quite so afraid of them because you understand them better. Yeah, thank you for that. And there's, there was something interesting uh, in particular that uh, struck me there because it was that idea of that sort of premature forgiveness, I think was possibly the phrase that someone's done an injury and then maybe they've apologized, maybe they meant it, maybe they didn't. Mm -hmm. You've gone, oh yeah, it's, it's fine, but maybe it's not fine. And then I'm mm -hmm. going to hold that resentment and that blame and I'm still going to be annoyed at that person and they've injured me, but mm -hmm. maybe they think it's fine because I've said <laughs> it's yeah, fine. And yeah. I think that's quite a common thing that we can be like, oh no, don't worry. But then mm -hmm. we can hold on to this and then actually... And I think it's difficult to sort of say, actually, it's not fine at that first instance. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of us pray for ease, kind of go, oh, it's mm -hmm. fine. Yeah. And then I'm holding on to all of that stuff and mm -hmm. injuring myself. And there hasn't been that opportunity for, for recon reconciliation or a conversation because the other person possibly thinks I'm completely fine because I said I was. Yeah, yeah really, a, an apology should not be mistaken for the end of the matter. Just because a person who offended you made an apology it doesn't mean it's finished mm. really an apology is a promise to make amends mm. okay and the person who's been harmed who receives the apology i mean it may be okay to kind of give uh, provisional <laughs> forgiveness mm. okay in the sense that yeah okay i'll work with you i'm not gonna you know shut you out of my house necessarily but I, I, I will be interested in, in working with you to see if you can make amends for what you did. Mm, yeah, it's that kind of hearing the apology, but uh, we'll come back to this <laughs> a right. later time kind of 
Um, and I guess uh, I don't know your thoughts on apologies, because I think sometimes you can hear really bad apologies. Oh, yeah. Most of them are really bad. Yeah. <laughs> and and my, my favorite are those. Oh, well, I'm sorry you felt that way, which is like it's, <laughs> right. it's completely not my fault. It's all your fault. And and as we said, maybe there is an element of us having some control over our response and our feelings, but mm-hmm. to completely kind of absolve yourself of any blame because it's the other person's fault how they reacted mm-hmm. <laughs> so. yeah yeah a a, um, a good apology should include a acknowledgement of what happened mm-hmm. you know what, what was the injury kind of a an awareness that the, per, the person apologizing should be able to say something about how what happened impacted the victim okay mm-hmm. the person who apologized should be able to say what they could have done differently. Mm. Okay. And they should be able to at least have some beginning inkling of how they could make amends. Mm. Now, I mean, sometimes that that last part is is the hardest thing to to know what you can do. Sometimes you need suggestions from the, from the victim. Mm. Um, But usually good direct amends um, have a lot to do with, what they said that they could have done differently. Mm. Okay. So whatever they could have done differently, doing that more often, often is, is, is effective amends. Mm. And then finally, one thing that many um, couples or, or anybody who's, who's, who's had to go through this, one thing they, they often neglect is the follow-up. Okay. Mm. So a person apologizes. It's necessary at a later date to go back and take a look and see if they've actually followed through with making amends or not. Okay. Mm. And if they have, then, you know, there should be some acknowledgement of that. And if they haven't, then maybe there was something wrong with what they promised to do. Maybe it was an unrealistic promise, or maybe they just didn't take it very seriously. Okay. Mm. So uh, it's necessary to follow up to. Mm, yeah. yeah, I guess all of this comes back to that open communication between two people, doesn't it? And, and an element of being aware of your own role in things and your own, um, the things that have had an impact on you and being able to communicate that with, with someone else, which right. sounds simple, isn't <laughs> very difficult. Well, well, I wouldn't say we need to be completely open. I mean, because if, if, if we're in relationship with somebody who has harmed us grievously and we continue to be at risk with them, then there's a good justification to not really being open with them, okay? Mm, uh, then, then it's good to create the, the escape plan and you may, may never be able to achieve reconciliation in the sense that the relationship is better than ever, but you can achieve personal peace by mm. by shutting things off from that yeah. person yeah awesome thank you yeah. Keith for, um, yeah. for all of your thoughts on that I wonder if you have a final thought on communication reconciliation any of that before we move on to my set questions I mean, one of the one of the things that got me thinking about this was uh, many years ago I uh, when my kids were small uh, some, person gave my son a um, 
a rock tumbler for a gift. And um, I don't know if you've ever been around a rock tumbler, had a rock tumbler in your house, but it, it, it is not a thing a parent should ever thank someone for giving their child because <laughs> it, it sits down in the basement and they put some craggly looking rocks that they dig out of the dirt into this with a little bit of water. And then, you know, mm, the, okay. the drum rotates and you got to hear the thing all day and night for, for several days. But when the, when the process is done, and they shut off the motor and you open up the drum, what you pull out of there is gemstones. These, these craggy rocks have been knocking against each other in that tumbler for days sometimes, and they've polished each other. Okay? Mm. The rock tumbler is my metaphor for relationships. All right. It, it, it's, it's when we are in contact with one another and sometimes knock up against each other. That's what makes us uh, shine. Um, if, if, we, if we, you know, engage in the process, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah, brilliant. I, I love that analogy. Yeah. Thank you for that. So um, I have some set questions to ask everyone that comes on and I'd love to hear your okay. thoughts on these. Yeah. yeah, and so my first question is what brings you joy in your life? Oh, wow. This is a harder question in this time of COVID. Uh, you know, it's been hard to adjust to um, social distancing, staying in my house, not seeing people I love, many people I love um, in person and all that kind of thing. And some of the means that we've used to bridge that gap, like, you know, right now you and I are talking over Zoom, okay? Zoom stinks, Okay, there's lots of problems with it. Okay, but the fact that we reach for it and begin to use it and become open minded to it and adapt to it, that's what brings me joy. Um, watching other people try new things and, and even though they, 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 they dislike. Um, you know, what they're faced with, try, trying to, uh, you know, make lemons out of, lemonade out of lemons, okay? Th that's what gives me joy. And, and it gives me joy to be able to participate in that. Yeah, awesome. And then my next question, which is sometimes similar, sometimes not, mm -hmm. is what makes life meaningful for you? Mm. So if, um, if I'm at a park and I'm kicking a ball around, that's a meaningless activity until I call it football, as you folks in Britain say, <laughs> okay? As we say, so soccer, okay? When we start to call that football, then, um, then I know what I'm supposed to do. You know, I'm supposed to try to kick the ball in the goal. And if you got the ball, I'm supposed to, to, to block it. And so a meaningless activity becomes meaningful at that point. Now, if I were to make a mistake and start to think, well, why am I doing this? You know, and somebody says, oh, you're, if we make a lot of goals, we win the championship. Well, why is that important? And so on and so forth. You can ask a lot of those questions and you can never come to the bottom of them. Okay. You never really arrive uh, at, at, at a sense of meaning if you do that kind of thing, unless you decide that, okay, Maybe the soccer game has ended here and now I'm engaging in a different game called philosophy, okay? And in philosophy, if we call this philosophy, 
then we know what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to ask difficult questions and try to try to defeat anybody who possibly tries to answer them. <laughs> okay, right? And that's fun. It's uh, almost as much fun as soccer or football. Okay, um, but if you start to ask yourself, well, why am I engaging in philosophy? Well, then, you know, there's no end to the, no bottom to that either. (laughs) So really what, what, what gives me meaning, I think is just to focus on what I'm doing and trying to do that one thing to its utmost. Yeah. Awesome. I I used to play the fun philosophy game. I did study philosophy (laughs) Uh, for a while and um, particularly philosophy of religion I loved uh, doing that with my dad going but why but why (laughs) that question Um, and you get into that like infinite (laughs) loop of oh but why how do you know which is quite fun Um, but (laughs) it's a a fascinating subject Um, talking of subjects our kind of overarching subject on the podcast is mental wellness and, and mental well-being and I have two questions for you around this and the first is what does mental wellness mean to you well, here I have to go back to adaptability. Yeah, um, the, the, you know, when we're faced with some kind of adversity, uh, mental wellness is the ability to see what we can do about it. Now, I mean, given, I, I think it is necessary when we face adversity, we do need to go through a period of grieving, okay? Mm. Um, and sometimes grieving is what we need to do about it. We need to acknowledge that, you know, going to restaurants was great. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, um, and, and when we acknowledge that something like that was great, then, well, what was it, what was great about it? Can we then try to create that without having to go to restaurants and expose ourselves to viruses and that kind of thing? So being adaptable. Yeah. Yeah. And then my, my follow-up question is, how you look after your own mental well-being. So how you keep yourself adaptable to life? Hmm. Well, I, I think there's a few things that keep me sane. And that is talking with people. Um, uh, the people I meet with counseling, they, they have no idea to the extent that they keep me sane. Okay. Um, but they do because um, I, I have to leave my own concerns and points of view and all that kind of thing to um, enter into their world. And then when I do that, then I see things from, from different points of views and then that, that enriches me. The second thing that keeps me sane is putting a limit on that. You know, I, I, there's really, in terms of my practice, um, I've learned that if I try to see more than six people did a day, that's a bad idea. That's really the, all the attention that I have. So I've learned to pay attention to how I'm feeling. And I've, I've taken the cues of when I need to kind of switch things up and, and do something different so that I can achieve some kind of balance. Brilliant. Thank yeah. you for, for sharing that. Uh, so then my next question is sometimes a challenge for people is uh, always fun for <laughs> me uh, is are you able to describe your own mindset oh i'm a reflective eclectic okay yeah uh eclectic in the sense that i do not believe that any mindset or way of looking at things is the correct one that we need to uh take on multiple points of view 
but I'm a reflective in the sense that even that point of view <laughs> is yeah. it has its limitations. Um, that being eclectic uh, and, and, and being open to a multitude of viewpoints and experiences also can become a problem because there are some times where you just kind of got to go with it. Mm. Okay. And, 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 and do, and, and just embrace one particular way of thing, doing things and, you know, at the exclusion of, of all others. I mean, for example, if I'm playing soccer or, or football, okay. Um, I'm playing, I'm playing the game. Okay. And, 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 and not, not other things at the same time. Mm. Yeah. That, I mean, it's almost like you kind of had that prepared, like reflective, right. <laughs> but that was fab. Thank you so much for that. So that brings us to my, my favorite question to ask, uh, which is we like to give people practical advice and, and ideas, uh, even though we've very much got a kind of, it's a, not a one size fits all approach mm-hmm. so they're not necessarily going to work for everyone but I ask everyone that comes on to leave us with between one and three top tips of things that they'd recommend that we try in our life that that could have a massive impact so they could be around reconciliation or communication mm. relationships or just general life advice that you have for us but if you have a top one to three tips well I think um, anybody who's listening has probably done something to somebody else that they regret. Uh, and I would suggest reaching out to that person and seeing if, if, um, if they can um, begin this process of, of reconciliation. It's a dangerous thing to do, but I, I think it's a, it's a very rewarding thing to do. And so I can't get away with just one. So the second one would be if you are the person who's, who's, you know, someone has come to you to apologize. Okay. Well, make sure this is a real apology. You know, um, if it doesn't appear to be at first, then you know, talk with them and, and see if you can shape it into a real apology, you know, like, for example, a real apology is acknowledging what you did. Okay, well, what are you apologizing for? Is it hurting my feelings? Or, or is it what you did to hurt my feelings? Um, Mm. And, and, you know, what are you going to do about it now? Kind of thing? How are you going to correct that? Obviously, you can't go back in time and change that. But I mean, what do you, what, how are you going to change going forward? And if if you're able to, to say that, well, then I'll, you know, I'll work with you. And when you've done it, then I'll accept your apology. Mm, Yeah. I think that's a nice phrase that then I'll work with you, but it's not just kind of going, oh yeah, that's all absolutely fine. It's Mm -hmm. that showing willing to kind of work towards the reconciliation, not just Mm -hmm. accepting it, feeling like a sense of obligation to do Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. It's a great phrase. Awesome. Thank you so much, Keith. And then my last question is where people can find you if they want to connect with you. I know you mentioned at the beginning your books, if you could remind us of those and where we can find them, that'd be fab. Yeah, well, I'm all over the place. I'm all (laughs) over the internet, Twitter, Facebook, but probably the one place to go to um, that can lead you to all the rest would be um, keithwilsoncounseling.com. You'll see links to 
to all of my activities there, all of my books and, and articles. Awesome. And uh, we'll absolutely link in the show notes so people can find you nice and easily. Okay. Thank you. From that, thank you, Keith, so much uh, for joining us today and sharing your wisdom with us. I, I really appreciate it. And I think this is such an important topic to cover just generally, but I think also <laughs> at the moment mm-hmm. with, with how life is uh, in particular, I think there are maybe a lot more fraught relationships when we are how we are at the moment so thank you so much yeah thanks pleasure to talk to you so thanks again to keith and and it's funny in in the conversation uh particularly when i was listening back to it 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 made me think of the parable of the second arrow uh it's a buddhist parable and uh, kind of about suffering. So it says that anytime we suffer misfortune, we are hit by or two arrows fly our way. And being struck by an arrow is painful, but being struck by a second arrow is even more painful. And so the explanation is that we can't always control the first arrow. However, the second arrow is our reaction to the first. And the second arrow is optional. So we have some kind of injury. It causes us pain. We can't control that. But that second arrow brings more pain and suffering because that is our reaction. That is us getting stuck on that thing. That is us obsessing over it, overanalyzing all of those things that I am a classic at. <laughs> um, so but it's um, it's a really interesting parable. And that's just kind of what struck me is that idea of the second arrow that we are in some way responsible for I guess, dodging that second arrow or changing it or or kind of negating its impact in some way. Uh, So I thought I'd share that because that's what kind of uh, came to mind for me. Um, And then the really, the last thing that I want to share today is about our most recent blog post up on the website that you can check out. Uh, So as you may know, I'm sure I've mentioned before, but I'm going to share it again in case you're new here or or you've forgotten because my waffling maybe you zone out a little bit, which I would not blame you for at all. Um, so Leanne, who joined us, ooh, episode 60 something, to talk about uh, sex education and, and all kinds of fun stuff around that. Um, Leanne is uh, a guest blogger on our site. So www.psykehe.co.uk. And so every month, Leanne writes a blog. Her most recent blog came out at the end of last week, and it is all about choices and decisions and what happens when we change our mind. Because I don't know about you, I've done this multiple times where I'll make a decision and it feels right, it feels like it is the right thing to do, I've weighed stuff up, and then you start, and then a little way down the line you can go, oh, <laughs> this, it doesn't feel right anymore. And like, what do you do when you're in that space and you have that feeling? And that is what Leanne's blog is all about. And spoiler, Uh, it's okay to change your mind (laughs) about things, uh, which is something that we can find really difficult to do. So if any of that kind of resonates with you about choices, decisions, making changes, check that out. Uh, So on our website, as I said. Um, And lastly, if you have enjoyed the show, please do rate and review. It really means a lot. And also consider sharing it with someone who you think might want to be part of the Psyche family. Um, or another friend um, please do share um, it again helps us reach more people and, and kind of spread the message that we have going on here um, if it's someone that you think owes you an apology and communicate 
uh maybe don't send it as like a passive aggressive way of saying hey <laughs> um although maybe you will i don't know uh interesting that that is what popped into my head but anyway that is everything for today massive thank you again to keith for joining us and i will be back on wednesday with sue and we are getting into nutrition and sleep and all kinds of great stuff like that on wednesday so please do join us again for that until then please do take care of yourself be kind to yourself and i'll speak to you soon bye for now <laughs>